Hello, fellow time travellers. I'm Colin Baker, and you are listening to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast. Enjoy your travels. Hello time travelers and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order of the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Witt and today we are continuing our interview with a very prolific Doctor Who author and that would be Mr. John Peel. Hello John. Hello there Tony, how are you doing? I'm doing fine and you? I'm doing well myself, thank you. Terrific. Okay, so last time we talked about all of your work up to Power of the Daleks, and this week we're going to be discussing Evil of the Daleks, which I just finished this morning and is always great read, so thank you for that. What I didn't realize last time we talked is that Power of the Daleks and Evil of the Daleks were published within months of each other in 1993. Right. And I was... So did you write those back-to-back the same way you did uh, the two volumes of Master Plan? Uh, Pretty much so, yes. Um, What happened was that when I got the scripts, uh, we we knew we were going to be doing both of them, so I just simply sort of went into it and kept going. (laughs) Okay. So you started with Power, finished it, and moved directly on to Evil. Uh, as far as I can remember, yes. Uh, there might have been another book in between, but it would only have been one at the most. Because I noticed a few things. Um, you said that you worked from the scripts, right? Mostly. Mostly, yes. Um, obviously, with Evil, there was, the one ep- there was the one episode still existing, so I could watch that and get some uh, visual clues. But mostly it was from the scripts. Did you listen to the audios when you did both stories? Um, <laughs> I tried to, but I, I, my, my copies of the audios <laughs> at that time were like probably about 10th generation, so very difficult to hear it. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. I, <clears throat> I can't remember they, they, whether or not the commercial releases were out by then, were they? No, they weren't. Um, yeah, what the Tom happened, Baker one wasn't even released then. Um, what had happened, of course, was when you, back in the early days of fandom, whoever had the copies of the audios would run them off for their friends. Um, and that's how I'd got mine. But it was, as I say, it was like a 10th generation. So not the best of quality. What do they call these creatures? Right. That was actually the versions that I had too, and only found out about the commercial versions, I think, a few years later. Right. No, that wasn't but, available. Um, well, that might explain one thing that one thing I thought was unusual. In the uh, one of the first chapters in the book, uh, the photo that's used to trap the doctor and Jamie is of him in the stovepipe hat, and I had assumed it would it was one of the publicity shots from Power of the Daleks. But then when I rewatched the episode, I realized it wasn't that shot at all, and I was wondering if that was a genuine mistake or whether that was a, a choice on your part. Oh, um, what had happened was it simply said that he had a photo of the Doctor, 
um, in a hat, and that was all it said. So I just assumed it was the oh, stove. Really? Yes. Uh, I assumed it was the stovepipe hat huh. because I, I hadn't really thought of any other one. Okay, all right, because I was, uh, it was interesting when I saw it in the video and thought, oh, that's not the one at all. I, I thought I'd misremember right. it, but if it said that in the script, then that makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jason A. Miller, one of our listeners, asks, why are there two separate chapters in this book called The Net Titans? There are? Oh, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that, that's simply good. I, I do tend to have ideas for titles in my head, and um, occasionally I use the same one over and over. So that must have been a case where I thought, oh, this is a good chapter right. title, and then forgot I'd used it, and then reused it later, and nobody caught it. Uh, th this happens from time to time. Uh, <laughs> I, for example, I saw someone online had posted a page where I actually have Maxtable. It should be Maxtable, and it says Mad. Stubble, right? The D instead of an X, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, yes. someone said, "Was that a, was, was that intentional?" It was like, "No, it was a mistake. I didn't catch. I'm afraid." I'm glad you are so easily amused. Yes. <laughs> well, more, more, to, more to the point, the editor didn't catch it. Apparently, <laughs> there, are, there are a few minor little things like that, but yeah, the the problem is when you when you're rereading things. Sorry. You know, when you're checking your stuff and rereading it, you sometimes read what you think you've written and not what is actually on the page. So that's probably what happened there, I'm afraid. Exactly. All right. I have another uh, question from a listener for you. Uh, Trey Corte, whom I believe you know, um, says the novel works very hard to explain character motivations and plot inconsistencies. How much of this was down to the script and production notes, and how much of it did you come up with? Um, probably, I came up with probably most of it. <laughs> um, I, I had the advantage of, of several years of reading comments and things like, why did this happen? Um, so I could go back and sort of say, well, this is why. And um, I, I, I'm a bit, bit of a consist, you know, a continuity freak, I suppose, and I like to make things make sense as much as possible. So I, I would do that kind of thing mm -hmm. a lot. Right. Can you think of anything specific uh, from Evil that you thought, oh, dear, that's not working, I need to explain that? Um, off the top of my head, no, not precisely. Um, I do know I did tidy up a few little plot points, but very minor. Uh, what happens is, of course, although um, David Whittaker probably would have written the script very consistently because David was a very meticulous writer. When rewrites are involved, sometimes things get shifted around a bit. But what I would do is try and reconcile where there are two points. But as I say, I was working from the original scripts for the most part, um, and a little bit from the audio where I could make it out, and then the rest of it was, was simply me putting little bits into um, to make it more realistic or to explain little points. Right, exactly. Well, I noticed that there are also some changes that help it fit in better with later continuity, such as the doctor succumbing to gas, even though we know he has a uh, respiratory bypass system. Right, yes. So that I mean, was a that nice was little save there. <laughs> but, of, of course, at the time, he, it, we, we had no idea that he had a respiratory bypass system, of course. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, the next question comes from Nick Mays. And he says, 
Uh, he asks, how good are your personal memories of power and evil when they were first screened? Um, power I have better memories of. I, I really, I think I only caught a little bit of evil when it was first shown. I, I know I didn't catch all of it. Whereas power I did watch in the entirety. So I had better memories of power than I did of evil. Oh, really? Okay. Do you remember why you uh, missed so much of evil? Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> at the time, I was very annoyed with the casting of Pat Trout. <laughs> uh, I, I thought, you know, he's not William Hart. You know, it's what we all do, I'm afraid. He's not my doctor. And as a result of which, I skipped a fair number of his episodes. And um, I regret it bitterly. I caught a lot of them, but not all of them. And although I, tr I tried very hard to watch all of the William Hartnells and missed very few, uh, I missed a lot more of the, of the Pat Trouton ones. I have, of course, since changed my opinion of Pat Trouton's performance. <laughs> um, and I, I, you know, I've discovered the, the, you know, the, the fun of it, really, I okay. think. Um, Nick Mays also asked... Um, how much you enjoyed fleshing out the background story in each case? For example, IMC being the company that was running the Vulcan colony. Oh, well, that was just pure fun. Um, I, it made sense in, in terms of them being the villains for, uh, for Pertwee. So why not put them, you know, they'd obviously be a, a big company. Why not have them doing it? That kind of thing. Um, I was just trying to bring it in, into more into line with what we saw later so that it, it kind of made it more like a believable universe and not just separate stories right mm -hmm. that makes sense i do have a question from steven buzanovsky and um i'm gonna rephrase it slightly because it was um <laughs> it was put a little bit uh strongly um why do you believe so strongly that evil of the Daleks actually is the final end of the Daleks when the flashing light at the end suggests in Whitaker's script that they would likely live on? Um, mostly because it was meant to be the end of the Daleks at the time. Having said which, I did, I did actually propose a story which never got written for um, BBC books, um, which would have been a sequel to Evil of the Daleks in which the Doctor finds the um, the humanized Daleks again. Oh, wow. Perfect. It would have been a good story, I thought. Um, I, I, one of the problems when you're writing Dalek stories is you've got, always got that point at the end of episode one where you have the bit where the Daleks come in and they say, you are the Doctor, you are the enemy of the Daleks, you will be destroyed. Exterminated, of course, sorry. <laughs> um, and it gets kind of dull when that happens. I mean, every, you know it's coming, and it gets kind of dull. So right. I try and... I, when I was writing my original Doctor Who novels, I was trying to vary it. And I wanted to do a bit where the Daleks come in and say, you are the Doctor, you are the friend of the Daleks. Mm -hmm. Which would have been kind of fun. Oh, yeah. Because it would have... The Doctor would have gone, what? You know, kind of... <laughs> no, no, I'm not, I'm not your friends kind of thing. Kind of like they've done with the new series with Rusty the Dalek, right? Well, they've, they've gone in a completely different direction, of course, in the new series. So um, if I was writing Evil now, I probably wouldn't make it so, quite so definitively the last story. Okay. That was the last Target novelization, even though I think there were a couple of books that came out after that. I, I, I think, I'm not sure, the Paradise of Death and uh, the other Barry Letts book may have come out after that. 
and this is Tony Whit from the future with a correction to that piece of misinformation. It turns out that Evil of the Daleks was the next to last target novelization published in August of 1993, whereas Paradise of Death by Barry Letts was published the following year in April of 1994. Sorry about the misinformation. But your next work was War of the Daleks. Right. And I just want to ask about that and ask how that book came to be, first of all. War of the Daleks, uh, <laughs> it's one of those convoluted stories. Um, originally, what I had thought would, would, would be good if I could actually write a script for the show. So I wrote an outline for War of the Daleks, intending it to follow on um, from Remembrance. And I, I split it down into four episodes. Um, format and everything. If you read War of the Daleks, you'll see the four-episode format is retained in the book, um, where you can see the obvious episode endings. And I was writing up a summary of it when I got a phone call from Terry Nation, who had just seen Remembrance of the Daleks, and Terry was absolutely furious, absolutely hated that story. And he, he, in one of his very rare angry moods, I mean, Terry was the most gentle, easygoing guy I know, but he, he, the one thing that would always annoy him was when producers would mess his stuff up. And he, he was just furious with John Nathan Turner, and he said, that man will never have the Daleks again. Oh, wow. So I looked at the outline I was writing up and thought, oh, well, and put it in a drawer, and that was the end of it, I thought. But then, um, a couple of years later, BBC Books asked me about doing some original stories, and I remembered the um, the outline that I'd started for War of the Daleks and fished it out and and you know refreshed it basically. Okay, um, well, I am going to ask about that retcon because <laughs> ah, it yes. probably isn't. <laughs> Yes, it probably isn't news to you that it was controversial at the time. Uh, <laughs> and I think you just answered the question that Luke Williams had, which was, did Terry Nation give you any pointers, ideas, or criticism uh, when he was alive that you felt compelled to put in the original books? And he's mostly referring to that canon rewrite from War of the Daleks. Well, yes. Uh, what had happened was when I mentioned to Terry that they wanted me to do an original Dalek novel. Uh, he, he said he had one request, and he said, if you can manage it, John, please bring Scarrow back. And that was his only request. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I told him... Not if you to, can manage. I told him not to worry, I had an idea. <laughs> wow. Okay. So he was very happy with that. He, he, thought, he, he was very pleased, because that was the one thing he wanted, was Scarrow back again. <laughs> I see. Gotcha. Um, well, one of our one of our sponsors, one of our uh, Patreons, Bart Lammy, actually wanted to ask you, how affected were you by the response to that book? Because it was a, a good bit more negative than the responses to your other books. Um, I, I, I got responses from um, various directions on all of my books. I, I always have had. Uh, at the time, certainly... Um, a number of my books got attacked for various reasons. Uh, generally, I think because people felt that I wasn't doing what they wanted me to do more than the actual content. Um, but I know War 
was was very controversial. What I was trying to do with war was to bring the Daleks back to their former glory. I mean, the the last couple of times they'd been on the show, they were kind of like they were they were kind of like three Daleks um, as an invasion force. And I thought, no, you you don't get this impression that the Daleks are really that much of a menace. Right. They they aren't doing anything that's menacing. They're just Shooting things, you know. Uh, basically, mm. they're acting like little tanks, and that's it. Right. Um, I wanted to come, you know, return to the idea that the Daleks were intelligent thinking machine, you know, thinking creatures in a machine, and you know, to make them scary again. That was the whole idea. So the the aim for War of the Daleks was to to try and bring back the scare factor. Okay, I could see that. Um... And certainly that comes through in the evil of the Daleks, because it seems like even the, even the smallest drone in that book has its own personality, even though they're really not supposed to have personalities. They, they're still individuals. In Evil of the Daleks and in Power of the Daleks, not only in your books, but also in Whitaker's writing, you, you can see the Daleks acting individually, even if they don't necessarily have fully fleshed out personalities there's still individuals rather than just robots yes exactly um it, it's one of the reasons why when the show came back again in the 90s i mean i absolutely loved uh, rob sherman's dalek because again he had he had one dalek thinking and acting on his own and beautifully and he brought the fear factor back so, you know, this is the sort of thing that I was aiming for. So this is why I really enjoyed um, Rob's story. Okay. Um, in fact, one of our listeners, uh, Carl J. Kammer, was, uh, was asking, are there any other New Who stories that you find particularly good? Um, well, Dalek, obviously, was one of my all-time favorites. It was just so well written, and um, I, I just adored it. Um, I also, I, I'm one of the few people, I think, that probably liked Time Heist. I thought Time Heist was really good. Really, I I, I thoroughly enjoyed. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was it was a, a a very good way of doing a kind of, um, you know, the heist show that everybody likes anyway. Right. And the the plot made logical sense. Why is the Doctor's memory missing? Kind of thing. And they answer the questions. So. I like that kind of a story where they put some thought into the plotting and the the script makes sense. So I, I really enjoyed that one. That was another mm -hmm. one of my favorites. Um, and surprisingly, probably, surprisingly, probably, um, I also like dinosaurs on a spaceship. Did you really? <laughs> I mean, yes, it's silly. Yeah, it's. I know it's silly and I know it's goofy, but it was kind of fun and. It did something different with the Silurians. So, um, you know, I really liked it for that. Right. And, it, it, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's a great, great story. I'm just saying it enjoyed. Enjoyable. Okay. Does that mean that you're holding out some hope under uh, for the series under Chris Chibnall? Well, um, until it turns up, we won't know what we're getting, really. <laughs> right. And uh, it could be good, it could be bad. And, um, you know, my, my, my attitude is always, let's wait and see. Um, the first one probably, go, judging by most regeneration stories, the first story is probably going to be kind of so-so, because it will have to introduce all the characters and the setting and everything and get used to a new Doctor. 
Um, so I'll, I'll give that one a, a little leeway, but if, you know, from story two onwards, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah, exactly. Carl Cameron also was wondering if you could choose to adapt any of the other stories, either from Classic Who or from the new series, uh, what would you want to adapt? Um, ones that have already been done or ones that haven't already been done? Um, well, e- either or. Let's start with the ones that already have been done. I'd love to have a go at um, uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, that that oh, yeah. one. I... I it, it, that was during the period where when Paul Terence was told, you know, you've only got to, it's got to be like thirty-five thousand words or whatever, and and to kind of condense a complete invasion story into a, such a small book, um, it was bound to not work very well. Right. And um, I'd right. I'd love to be able to do that because I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's probably one of the one of the classic Dalek stories. I mean, the Daleks on Earth. Um, and just the imagery in it and everything, it was just so well done. Mm-hmm. I, I'd love to have had a go at that one. Okay. That's, that's certainly. Well, I'm a little curious then. Uh, what did you find didn't work so well in Terence Dick's novelization of it? The very fact that he, he was limited ah. um, to such a short story. I mean, he, it's basically taking a six-part story and putting it into a, like a two-episode synopsis almost. <laughs> True. You know, there's so so much left out there's so much that could have been gone into um but he wasn't allowed to by by the editor of the time uh, i was much more fortunate because when i was doing them they pretty much said well whatever length you want to do it you just do it we'll we'll print it right exactly in fact we did have a few people asking the uh, same question that i asked you last time which was was there anything that you were you were told that you could not do, or things that you wish you could have done that you weren't allowed to do on those novelizations? Um, no, actually, they. I, I was given pretty much carte blanche with everything, and um, I was just looking at the chase again fairly recently and discovered that there's very few changes made from my original manuscript, uh, which is. As anybody who who's done any writing will know, is very unusual. Yes, it is. They really didn't edit me very much at all. Uh, they they just sort of trusted me to do it and uh, let let me get on with it, which was astonishing. Mm-hmm. Especially since especially since these were basically some of my very first novels. Um, I, I hadn't written before I did the chase. I'd only written one novel, um, so you know I was still finding my feet, so to speak. Exactly. Speaking of which. I, I do want to get back to um, some of your earlier work. I want to backtrack a little bit from War of the Daleks. We'll get to Legacy in a minute, but uh, let's um, let's talk about Time Worm Genesis because you actually wrote that in 1991, not long after the series right. had uh, ended. How did that one come about? Ah, oh, well, that, <laughs> I, as I was writing the, the last of the novelizations, which was evil, um, I, I knew that there would be, we were coming to the point where we would have to do original novels or just simply abandon the whole line. And since the the line was doing so well, I really didn't expect them to abandon it. So I kept very closely in touch with Peter Darbell Evans and he contacted me when he got the rights to do original novels and I pushed really, really hard to be the one to do the first of the original novels. Uh, it, it's the fan in me. 
<laughs> uh, I, I, I just simply, I just wanted to be able to say, yes, I wrote the first official Doctor Who novel, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it was very, it was very funny because I talked to Terence Dix a couple of years ago, and I said, you know, I said to him, you know, I'm sorry, Terence, you know, probably you would have been better to, more obvious person to write the first original novel. I said, I hope I didn't cause any problems for you there. And he said, No, no, dear boy, you took all the flack. <laughs> well, that's so it, true. it was wonderful. <laughs> Well, when you say take the flag, how, what was the uh, response to that first novel? Because I, I have to admit, I was out of fandom at that point, so I didn't actually read any contemporary reviews of it. Um, it's it's kind of hard to say. I mean, people either loved it or hated it. And mm-hmm. um, the ones who hated it tended to be the more vocal ones, and um, they 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 were complaining about various reasons um, and everything. They they thought, for example, the opening sequence with um, with Ace got a lot of comments because I had naked Ace walking around the TARDIS, you know, um, <laughs> uh, which got a fair amount of flack. But I mean, the, the the reason I had done that was was quite simple, in that I wanted to show that her memories had been stripped from her, and she was basically like a baby when she woke up, and she had to relearn what she had lost. So I thought having her naked as a baby would kind of reinforce that. But of course, everybody just sort of went, oh, achy, you know, naked ace, wow, it's sexy kind of thing. And that was, that was not really what I was aiming at. Right. <laughs> uh, but um, there, was, there were some criticisms that were quite accurate of the book. For example, I did, there was one point where I mentioned Ace remembering Paradise Towers which was a, a genuine oh, mistake. Yeah. Uh, I, I had I had only seen um, a handful of the of the um, episodes by at that point from the uh, from the McCoy era because they weren't shown at that time in America. Um, as a result of which, I I only had hazy ideas and I had forgotten that it was Mel or not Ace in Paradise Towers. So you know that was a, a very valid criticism. It was a mistake, uh, which should have been caught by somebody. Right. <laughs> well, wasn't wasn't that part of the pl- um wasn't that part of the plot something to do with her memories had been taken by the TARDIS because the Doctor was clearing right. his own memory, and wasn't she given yes. her memory back by the TARDIS, or did she have to relearn yes. it? Well, I mean, yeah. Um, in, in fact, Paul Cornell um, in his novel. Um, actually said that she had been given a few extra memories. There we go. <laughs> to, to ex- yeah, help explain it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Trust Paul Cornell to fix all the gaps, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So, you know, that worked. Um, but, um, you know, aside from that, um, the, the biggest thing about Time Worm was that someone leaked um, my outline and pretended that they'd read the novel. and they oh. had, And this was done to a fanzine. Um, DWM, whatever, or DW something or other, um, at the time, and um, they they you know he pretended he'd read the novel and was harshly criticising it, whereas in actual fact all he'd read was the um, the outline. What had happened was because we were writing all four books at the same time, all four of us were writing our books at the at the same moment, so they could all be released a month apart. Oh wow! Um, so what had happened was I had had to write up 
what I what was I you know what I was doing in book one, and send it to the other three writers so that they could. So okay, yeah, that's where I pick up, or this is what I need to do, kind of thing. Um, but of, of, of course, what happens is as you write a book, it doesn't always stick religiously to the outline, right? Um, because then you start thinking, oh, wait a minute, no, no, that doesn't actually make any sense. What I should do is this, and so of course, the actual novel and the outline were only kind of partially in in accord. Mm-hmm. So th- th- this nitwit viewed the outline as if it was a novel, Got it. which is <laughs> yeah. caused a lot of trouble. Yes, it sounds like it. I was going to ask about that, how closely you worked with the other writers, because one of the criticisms of that first quartet is that they're really only a quartet in name only, because it feels like four very different novels at times. And I was wondering if that's because of the working conditions you were under at the time. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, As I say, uh, what what had happened was that Peter Dove Levins had come up with the concept of the time work, but it was a very loose concept. Um, He he didn't know what it was going to look like, what had caused it or anything like that. So I had to do all of that and I had to write it up. But as I say, the other three writers were actually writing their stories pretty much at the same time that I was writing mine. So none of us had the benefit of seeing each other's works. You know, it it simply wasn't available to us. I I had no idea what the other three plots were. um, I see. Because they were, yeah, Peter felt that they were irrelevant to me anyway, so I, I wasn't kept up to date with what was going on. So we were basically writing four independent novels tied together by a common theme. Mm-hmm. Did you end up reading the other novels? Oh, yes, of course. Okay, what did you think of them? Um, I love Terry's, uh, but then again, uh, Terence Dicks. Uh, but then again, I, I mean, I've been a huge fan of Terence's for a long time, so right. that's not really surprising. Um, <laughs> Nine Jewels I enjoyed, but I kind of thought it was a little on the dry side. Um, Paul's Paul's book I didn't quite understand for half the time I'm afraid (laughs) and that's interesting because that's generally considered by uh, some fans to be the first new adventure because it's so much in the style that was established for the rest of the series (laughs) which is so bizarre yeah but that's why I didn't write any more because um, by Mm -hmm. the time that um, the 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 series was continuing i could see that peter was heading it in a direction which wasn't really the kind of thing i wrote right so i never i never put in another outline after that for him mm-hmm. because okay. i i didn't think i could fit in with that kind of writing it, you know it, it wasn't going in the directions that i would have gone sure got it which um which directions would you have gone with it um probably more traditionally i suppose i wouldn't have um, I, I would have gone more like a, you know, the, the TV season. Let's have one of these. Let's have one of those. Let's go and do this. Uh, why don't we play with this game? Kind of, kind of thing. Um, you know, I would probably have, have pitched um, possibly a Dalek story or something like that. But you know, it wouldn't have fit with what they were doing. Um, some of them, I, I, I read. I can't even remember how many of them I actually read. Probably about the first thirty or so. And um, some of them I loved. Uh, for example, um, Blood Heat by Jim Mortimer, I thought was oh, brilliant. Oh, yes, indeed. 
And um, I, I, Barry Russell's, was it Leg? I can't remember which one. Legacy. It was, um, it was another one, one I absolutely loved. Uh, but the other reason why I never came back to doing any more of the new adventures was, was quite simply that I was really busy at the time. I'd created two different series uh, that I was writing in America. So um, I really had a amount of time anyway. Yeah, and I do, I do want to talk about those, by the way, because uh, your your uh, bibliography is enormous. <laughs> on, on Wikipedia, there's it's a selected bibliography. But um, what were the two series that you were working on at the time? I assume you were talking about. Um... One of them was the Shockers series, which I which I'd started. I think I'd started that one before I'd done the New Adventure, um, but. But then, what this, this was with an editor I, I was working with over here, and then he moved to a different company, and then he, he had me create another series for him at, uh, at the other company. So I, I went from doing a series for him at one company to uh, Time Worm to the series at the other company. So it, it was kind of like a busy thing. Um, and at the same time, I, I'm pretty sure it was about the, the same time, I was also... Um, approach to do the new Outer Limits series. Uh, oh. So um, I had a lot of work involved. So really, I, I just put Doctor Who on the back burner at that point. Mm -hmm. Now, when you say the, the new Outer Limits series, are we talking television scripts or are we talking books? Um, books. Uh, Tall Books wanted to do a, um, a young adult series tied into the Outer Limits. Seriously? There is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. Yes, and, uh, and they, they, they came to me and they approached me to do this. Uh, originally it was going to be a six book series, but uh, once I started they expanded it to 12. Oh, wow. I mean, uh, I don't doubt your abilities to do that, <laughs> but the, the concept just strikes me as <laughs> strange. <laughs> Well, it was kind of funny because um, they they had gotten the rights and they wanted to strike very quickly. So they said, well, we need two books really fast. But the problem is we have to go through MGM that owns, you know, who own the rights. Right. And getting the approval for, for this would will probably take a, a couple of months. So, but we need books before that. So I said, well, why why don't we see if we can just adapt a couple of scripts? Because since they've already made them, Obviously, they approve of those stories, so we, we shouldn't be fine. And they said, oh, yeah, that would work. So oh, the wow. first the first two books ended up being um, novels from TV episodes, and then the remaining ten were ones that I wrote myself. Hmm. Um, but it was great fun because um, I, I was allowed to pick the episodes that I wanted to, to write the scripts from. What were the two that you chose? Well, I, I, I chose one from the original series and then one from the new series. Um, the original series, I went with my absolute favorite episode, which is the Zanti Misfits. Oh. Total destruction to anyone who invades our privacy. Oh. It, it, was, it was kind of funny, actually, because at the, at the moment, when I was signing to do this thing i met harlan ellison mm -hmm. harlan had written a couple of the scripts for the original series and i told harlan that i was going to be doing these and that i that i was 
um, allowed to pick any script I wanted from the show. And he, Harlan looked at me and he said, not my scripts. And I said, <laughs> no, Harlan, I wouldn't dare try to adapt one of your scripts. So that's sensible. Yeah, that's sensible. <laughs> was this... Was this before or after the uh, misunderstanding that you um, d- d- recently, when he died, you you told a story about something you had said about a script of his, and oh, yes. he got back to him. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, this was after that. Harlan, Harlan, Harlan never minded criticism as long as it was intelligent criticism, um, and. My criticism of his script was exactly what he had said, so of course he thought it was intelligent, Um, and uh, as a result of which he never held it against me, which was very nice of him. And this was of the Twilight Zone episode, right, from the uh, 1980s? Yes, right. Yeah, I can't remember which one. Um, um, Paladin the Lost Hour. That's it. Yeah. Um, and then from the from the new series, I picked the episode "The Choice," which was one that I you know, really enjoyed. And then after that, I was into my own original stories, which was fine. But I was producing a book about every six weeks, oh, so my. it was. It, it, and the the last couple, I was kind of running out of quick ideas for. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Well, somewhere in there, you were also writing um, uh, Evolution for the Missing Adventures series, correct? Yes, that's true. Um, evolution, where did that... I'm trying to remember. It's, it's quite a while back, and I'm trying to remember which kind of... I think that was in between um, when I was doing my Diadem series. Um, that was nineteen. No, it must have been before that. It must have been before the Diadem, because um, it was... That was one of the early ones. Yeah, um, Evolution. Um, what had happened with Evolution was that I'd written this short story for a fanzine over here a couple of years earlier than that um, called The Castle of uh, the Castle of Count Death. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be kind of fun to adapt that into a, into a full-length novel. It was basically about somebody who's breeding vampires. But then we'd already had too many vampire stories, so I thought, okay, forget the vampires. Uh, what I what I actually pitched was um, a story centering around Sarah Jane, and it would start with John Pertwee, and then end up later when she's traveling with Tom Baker, so that there would be like a stop and a start, and it would be a two part story. And Peter Darvill Evans said. No, no, no. We're not doing multiple doctor stories. Um, you've got to pick one doctor and stick with them. Oh. I said, oh, well, in that case, it'll be Tom, but Tom and Sarah because they they were my probably my favourite combination of doctor and assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I, that that was what I went with eventually. Okay. Um, speaking of which, uh, let's see. Now, by this point, you've written. For the first Doctor, the second Doctor, the fourth, and then you wrote for the seventh and for the eighth. Are there any Doctors that I'm missing, and are there any Doctors that you wish you had written for? No, that's all of the Doctors I've written for. Um, I wish I'd be able to do um, a poetry story. I would have loved to have done a poetry story. Um, Probably with um sarah again i'm afraid <laughs> right <laughs> but um yes i'd have loved to have done a poetry 
And have you been uh, asked to write for any uh, any books for the current Doctor Who series? Is there a contact over no. there that you have? Um, no, actually, I've ne they've never approached me about doing any. Um, so uh, instead of which, of course, I've been doing the, the spin-off stuffs for the, um, the Lethbridge Stewart. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. um, because, of course... Uh, that's probably as close as I'm going to get to the Pertwee era, let's face right, it. Right, <laughs> exactly. How how did that come about, that project? Um, they, they simply approached me and said, look, we've got the rights to do stories based on the Brigadier. Would you be interested in doing one? And, I, you know, I had never written the Brigadier. He's never been in any of my stories to that point. And I thought, you know, I'd love to do a Brigadier story. And that was as simple as that. I, I just simply said, yes, I'd love to do it because I haven't written the Brigadier before. Well, fantastic. Okay. Before we move on to your other work, uh, we do have a few more questions from listeners, and I do ha I do have to ask you about the Gallifrey Chronicles and how that came about. So, ah. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What had happened was my, my very first Doctor Who book was Doctor Who, um, the official Doctor Who and the Daleks book mm -hmm. uh, for, for St. Martin's Press over here with Terry. And it... Once I delivered it, the editor said, you know, we wouldn't mind doing another one. Uh, what would you like to do next? So I, I said, well, I guess rather than doing um, another monster story like the Cybermen or anything, why don't we do Doctor Who and the Time Lords? And they said, yeah, fine. Um, so I started developing the concept for the Gallifrey Chronicles. And then they said, um, the first book didn't sell as well as we thought, so we're not really interested in a sequel. Oh. So what happened then was I thought, well, I've done all this work, you know, getting the stuff together for an outline and all the, all the bits and pieces. So I approached Peter Darville Evans instead and said, look, would you be interested in this? And he said, yes, but not with that bloody awful title. <laughs> so I, I had to write a whole list of um, option, you know, other possible titles, and then the Gallifrey Chronicles was the one that he liked the best. Oh, okay. Um, which was kind of interesting because I was doing a clean out about five years after the book had written, uh, had been finished and published and everything, and I discovered that I'd actually written, um, I think, a short story for a magazine called the Gallifrey Chronicles, and I had completely forgotten about it. Oh. Uh, and I just I came across a copy of the fanzine, and I'm looking at it going, oh. That's why the title sounded so good. You know? Right. <laughs> um, but, but I'd completely forgotten about it. Uh, it was just one of those things. All right. Now we're going to shift back again to, um, to uh, Legacy of the Daleks. Right. Um, which was slightly better received than War of the Daleks, if I'm remembering correctly. Though in some circles it's still considered controversial and i was just uh wondering how that book came about um i don't know quite why it would be controversial i didn't do anything terribly horrible i don't think <laughs> but there you go um what happened there was that after writing the first one the first dalek book uh bbc books was so happy with it they said would you like to write another one and i said oh yeah sure and uh, going back to the fanzines again i had written a short story well I, I, I was the editor of a fanzine in England before I moved to America um, for Doctor Who Appreciation Society called Cosmic Masks. Uh -huh. And I thought it would be kind of fun to have like a, a, a multi-part story going across several um, issues. And um, I had written a story called Legacy of the Daleks in which Susan 
um, is on, you know, it, it's a sequel, uh, uh, as the novel went, ended up being, a sequel to uh, Dalek Invasion Earth. And what I did was I simply took that short story and expanded it into a novel. Hmm, okay. In fact, <laughs> a funny story time, uh, I put a little note in at the end of Legacy of the Daleks saying this story was based on um, a, f- a story which was originally ba- uh, published in a fanzine. And Peter Darville Evans, no, it wasn't Peter then, I forget who it was, but the, the, uh, the editor of BBC Books called me up in this terrible hurry and said, no, 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 I, I can't print that, he says, because if, if I print this was based on a fanzine story, everybody who's written fanzine stories out there is going to send me their story. <laughs> so please... <laughs> Which is probably true. <laughs> it, is, it probably is true. So he said, please, 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 can I, can I leave that bit out? And I said, yes, all right. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, it really was based on a fanzine short story. And I just simply expanded it into a full-length novel. Yeah, I think the only, I think the controversy there was what was seen by some people as a rewriting of the Master's continuity or Susan's continuity, which... Strikes me as oh, kind of odd yeah. because they hadn't really established their continuities by that point. So, eh. but um, I I forgot to I forgot to ask you something about War of the Daleks. According to Wikipedia, that book was announced by uh, DWAS as being published as a new adventure originally. Was that actually the case, or was that a mistake on their part? Um, I didn't pitch it as a new adventure. Okay. Um, as I say, I had only pitched the one new adventure, which was Genesis, uh, Time of Genesis. I I never went back to to them. It was only when they switched to BBC Books, um, and then I they contacted me and said, you know, we're doing a completely fresh series. Would you like to do it? And I'd seen the. I mean, I had seen the the TV movie, of course, and um, enjoyed it. So I said, yeah, sure, yeah. Um, but it it was after the TV movie. Definitely. Um, by which point, of course, they switched over to BBC Books. Right. So I have no idea why Dwight would right. think otherwise. Yeah, and that that may be misreporting because it is Wikipedia, and I notice it's one of those things that says citation needed. So maybe someone misheard. That's completely possible. Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Couple more questions for you. Uh, Warren Howarth asks. Um, has the opportunity to write an adaptation of Resurrection or Revelation ever come up? And if it did, would you actually do it if given the chance? Ooh, no, it was never broached to me. Nobody ever um, asked me to do them. Um, nor was I asked, obviously, about Remembrance. Um, that, that was Ben's story, beginning to end kind of thing. Um, they, they never asked me about doing them. Would I have done them? If I could change them a bit, yes, <laughs> but probably <laughs> otherwise no. Um, I I didn't really care for either of them because again, as I say, that they were all Davros and not enough Daleks. In, in mm-hmm. fact, when I wrote when I wrote War of the Daleks, I called Terry up and I said to Terry, Terry, would you mind if I kill off Davros? <laughs> Um, because I'm honestly, I want to get back to the Daleks as opposed to just every story being Davros, 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 you know, let's go right. back and just do Dalek. Right. And Terry mm. said, well, dear boy, 
I don't mind what you do, but just don't kill him too permanently. <laughs> Which, of course, you didn't. <laughs> Which, of course, well, I didn't. No. Well, yeah. So, um, if, if, I, if it came now and someone said, would you like to novelize them? Perhaps I would. Uh, I, I really don't know. Um, I mean, they've been doing the, um, the uh, Douglas Adams novels, so it's a possibility. Mm, true, true. In fact, there is definitely an opening for that to happen. Um, that leads into my next question from uh, Shaquille, Le, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, Le Visconti, who asks, um, why your views changed on Terry Nation after you wrote such biting and scathing reviews of his stories in uh, Fantasy Empire back in the 80s? <laughs> uh, simply because I talked to him. And Terry, Terry was very, very, as I say, he was a generous uh, gentleman. And he would, he would talk to me. And he, uh, for example, when I, he knew that I'd com uh, complained, for example, about um, how childish calling a world that, that is arid Aridius was. <laughs> and he said, but you have to remember, John, that these stories are not just written for you. They are also written for the six-year-old boy who might just have learned the word arid at school. And because of that, when he hears the name Aridius, will say, oh, I know what that means. He says, you have to remember, you're writing for every age group when you're writing Doctor Who. And, you know, he made me rethink my positions. And when he explained why he did what he did, I went back to the stories and looked at them again and said, yes, I can see what he's doing here. And it, it did change my opinion. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, I think you have to be willing to say, well, you know, maybe I was misinterpreting things here sometimes. Uh, and, and in Terry's case, I think I, I had... They, you know, basically misjudged a lot of what he was trying to do. Okay. And um, two more questions from Carl Kammer. He asked, um, what was your favorite Target cover? My favorite Target cover? Ooh. There's so many good ones. There really hard, are. Hard to narrow that one down, isn't it? Uh, it, it would, I, I think perhaps something like um, The Cave Monsters, which I, I just love that cover. Um, or, you know, there were so many good ones. I, I really don't know how to, 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 which ones to pick out. Uh, that, I mean, there were a few I didn't like. I didn't like the cartoony ones that they did. The, those silly cartoony ones. I mean, pretty much anything Chris Akelios did was just wonderful. Um, you know, uh, and um, the, the other artists, you know, very various other artists that were just really, really good. And I, I would just say, wow. Um, obviously, uh, Andrew Skeleton was one of my favorites because I'm working with him. Um, and because uh, I'm working with him because uh, because I, I just admire his artwork so much. So that, that, there's just too many. I mean, it's hard to pick out just one or two covers, but... Um, certainly a lot of those early Chris Arkelios covers, they, they were uh, you know, iconic for me, really. He also asks how you feel about the Dalek book these days, now that you look back on it, the first one that you did. Oh, I'm, I'm, I've got it, yeah, the official Doctor Who and the Daleks, I'm with you, yeah. Um, uh, I would really, really, really rewrite it seriously. <laughs> but um, at the time, 
I, you know, it was the best that I could do. Uh, now, of course, there's so much more information we have. Uh, when I was writing it, they, there wasn't the amount of research done on the past as there has been um, to date. So there, there are a number of changes I'd probably make. Um, such as? What's, what sort of things would you change? Uh, probably a bit of the Dalek continuity, certainly. And um, I, I'd like to add a few more details and things to stuff. Uh, you know, because to after I'd written the book, I, I talked even more with Terry about other things about the Daleks, and he sent me various other bits and pieces that weren't available to me at the time. So there were always more stuff that you could put in. And I, I, I wish we could have had more illustrations, too. <laughs> right. Um, uh, Simon Hudson asks, would you write for the new series, if you were asked? Um... I'd write, I'd, I'd write pretty much anything as long as it seemed like it could be fun. Uh, that, that's my main criteria. I mean, I, I, will, I will do any writing job that I'm asked to do as long as it looks to me like I can have fun doing it. Because if you're not going to have fun, what's the point of doing it? Um, and if you're not going to have fun writing it, people aren't going to have fun watching or reading it. So, you know, you, you've got to have that, oh, wow, I can't wait to get up and write the next little bit. So if, if I was convinced that um, what I was writing would be worthwhile, certainly I'd write for the new series. Okay. Um, okay. I'm, I'm not sure my views and their views will be exactly alike on what constitutes Doctor Who, though. So <laughs> that's the only kind of caveat I have. Okay. Moving on to something completely different, just for a little bit. Um, you've also done some extensive uh, Star Trek work, including uh, two books for the Next Generation series, uh, two books for the DS9 Young Adult series, and I believe one for the Adult series. And I was wondering how those came about. Um, I never actually intended to write any Star Trek novels. That had never occurred to me. Uh, well, not since I was about 15 anyway. Um, but, you know, it, it was one of those things. What had happened was that Pocket Books got the rights to do novels based on Alien Nation, which was um, a show I absolutely adored. Nice. Uh, so uh, I called them up and I said, please, 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 can I write one of these books? And they said, oh, yeah, probably show, probably you can, yeah. And they, they sent me a script uh, what, had, what happened was that most of the novels were based on unproduced scripts um, that had been written for a second season mm -hmm. of Alienation, but which never came about. So, so they sent me a script from this, um, you know, um, unpublished, uh, unfilmed second season, and um, it was wonderful. I absolutely loved it. So I said, "Yes, please, I'd love to do this book." And literally, we were going to go to contract on it. And the series got cancelled. Uh, the book series, I mean, not the TV series. The TV series had already been cancelled. Uh, but the book series was cancelled. And um, the editor called me up and said, John, I'm sorry, but, you know, we aren't going ahead with the Alienation book. But have you ever considered writing a Star Trek novel? And I said, well, no, I actually, I haven't. I'd never thought of it. Um, so he said, oh, okay. And then, you know, how it happens is, once he said, have you considered writing a Star Trek novel? I thought, well, you know, just for the thought of it, what if I did write one? And I literally came up with this, with an outline overnight 
and called him up the next morning and said, can I change my answer? <laughs> and I sent him the outline in and he loved it and that was it. We, we went ahead. And that was Here There Be Dragons, I assume? That was Here There Be Dragons, yeah. Excellent. Uh, what had happened was there, there are several rules for writing Star Trek novels uh, that everybody, you know, all the writers knew. And my friend Peter David had written several. And he said to me, look, John, you, you can do pretty much anything, but, um, you know, one of the rules is no magic. And now, me being me, immediately thought, okay, I want to write a Star Trek book with magic <laughs> in it. Um, but I have to get around the no magic rule. So I, I you know, I, I came up with this concept that the magicians, of course, are doing things scientifically. But to everybody else, it's magic. And um, that was that was my hook for that one. Plus... I have this problem with infallible people, and it's one of the reasons why I had problems with the, with the McCoy years, the writing of the McCoy era on TV, was he seemed to be infallible. Uh, he would lay these plots out and scheme and everything, and they would just go blip, 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 and it, it was done. And um, Picard in, in The Next Generation had always seemed infallible. And I thought, well... I'd like to see him make a mistake, do something wrong, you know, just to show he's really human. He's not some, uh, you know, uh, un, you know, thinking machine. He's actually a human being. And I, I wrote a story in which he makes uh, he makes a mistake because he's facing an underwhelming villain. Uh, I mean, you always have these aliens that are overwhelmingly powerful, but yet they come up with a, some sneaky way of beating them. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun if the alien was actually, you know, the, the menace was actually really, really easy to beat. And because it's so easy, um, Picard makes a mistake. Oh, okay. And um, that, that was my pitch, really. Okay. And that led, I assume, directly to you writing the uh, DS9 books. Oh, yeah, the, the, the DS9. Um, that one, again, it was one of those changing things. Um, I pitched what I thought was the logical story, which was the Borg find Deep Space mm -hmm. Nine. And my editor said, okay, John, there is no way that Paramount is going to let us do that <laughs> because they will want to keep that right. for themselves. So pitch me a different story with original, right. with original aliens. So it was, the I, it was the same story I'd already pitched, but I just switched the aliens, um, uh, which, which was kind of fun. And it was great fun for me because when I was about to write the story they had just made the decision to bring in the defiant into deep space oh, nine okay. and it hadn't appeared on the tv now my book was about to was going to be scheduled to come out just before the next season started on on tv so they actually said look we're going to be you know paramount said to me we're doing this thing we're introducing this new ship the defiant so can you write that into your book and I was like, "Wow, this is it's pretty cool." And they sent me the um, the opening script, which I had to swear, you know, up, down, and sideways not to reveal to anybody because it had all of the upcoming, right. you know, new revelations in it. So I, I had I was sworn to secrecy from everybody um, for a while, um, so that I could include all of the upcoming stuff that were, was going to be introduced into the next season. Uh, which was really, really fun for right. me. <laughs> Very hard keeping your mouth shut when you know when you know what's coming, of course. But exactly. there you go, you have to do it. <laughs> and the last one you did for them was... Uh... Um, oh, that was The Death of Princes, the last one. 
Um, that one was a very, very, that one was easy for me because what I wanted to do was, uh, there were so many stories where the captain has to break the prime directive. And I thought, well, I have not yet seen the story in which he has to keep the prime directive. And we haven't seen any justification of why there even is a prime directive. So I wrote a story specifically to say, this is why we have a prime directive. We have to preserve it. So that was the whole concept behind the Death of Princes. Mm, okay. Have you considered doing any books uh, for the range since then? or? Um, Again, the, the editorial staff's changed, and I'm, they, they have their own way of doing things now. They have their own writers, so they've not asked me to come back and do any, and um, I, I haven't really wanted to go back in and pitch. I did pitch one a little while back, um, a little while back, about ten years ago, uh, for, for um, an original series story. I wanted to do an original series because I hadn't done that, but... Um, I never heard back from them, so I have no idea whether they even looked at it or not. Ah, got it. Um, so, what are you currently working on? Um, at the moment, I'm doing the mostly the Doctor Omega stories with um, Andrew Skeletor, and um, that's a tremendous amount of fun. As I say, my main rule for writing is it's got to be fun, and working with Andrew is just amazing. I'm having so much fun. Excellent. Okay, and I've got one last question for you, and it's probably one you've heard before. Uh, Jamie Forcer writes, how often are you mistaken for the late radio DJ who shares your name? Ah, for the other John Peel. <laughs> fairly, fairly frequently, actually. It's, it's amazing. Um, but uh, considering he's been dead for almost, what, 15, 20 right. years now, um, <laughs> everybody seems... Yeah. Everybody hears the name John Peel, and for some reason, that's the person they always think of. Uh, what, I, what I did find amusing was once that uh, he was mistaken for me. Oh, really? And that, that was very funny. Uh, he, he wrote a little piece in um, the Radio Times saying that someone had asked him when, I, when he was going to write another Dalek story, <laughs> uh, which would amuse him. And my mother, my, my mother read this. And and she wrote to him saying, "My son is the person that's be, you know you're being mistaken for." And he wrote her an absolutely charming letter back, very very sweet, <laughs> a very nice gentleman, I gather, but not me. <laughs> he is not me. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, John. I really appreciate talking to you again, and hopefully we'll be able to work on the uh, podcast for the Cave Monsters when it comes up. All right, terrific. Thank you so much. You're Bye-bye. quite welcome. Bye-bye now. And thank you, fellow time travelers, for giving us your valuable time. Next time, we look at the Tomb of the Cybermen. Mm. In the meantime, if you liked what you've heard here, like us on Facebook at Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast, all one word with no spaces. You can also visit our nearly pristine subreddit at www.reddit.com forward slash r forward slash dwtargetbc. Also feel free to watch videos of our first 12 episodes and give us a thumbs up or comment on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash user forward slash emperor forward slash videos. Follow us on Twitter, we're at DWTargetBC, or subscribe to us via the podcast provider of your choice. If all else fails you, email us at DWTargetBC at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, and enjoy your travels. Bye-bye.
There is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. 